The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Okay, the microphones are hot. <laughs> so are we. We're going to do this thing. Welcome to the True Wealth Radio, radio Show. show. Right? Woo! Uh, in studio, Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And it Your is... favorite two people on Tuesday afternoon. This is the best thing that's happened to Tuesdays all day. You guys are <laughs> in for a treat. Uh, We're we just trying got... to convince you really hard that Tuesdays are awesome. Yes. Uh, Tuesday, spinning all kinds of plates. Here we are. What a a wild situation in the world uh, we have. I have no idea what happened in Iowa with uh, the Democratic caucusing event, and we don't know what it, it, is there a front runner yet. So politics is still mm, punt. Can I okay. can I admit that I am I'm kind of okay living under a rock at this point. Like I am so tired of political jargon that I am kind of just waiting until the final battle. Like I. I should care. I have a dog in the fight. I'm a voter. I just don't. I don't want to get sucked into all the stuff right now. I don't right think now. you're alone, right? And so I want to make sure today we're going to try to make sure that this stuff is all relevant to your true wealth. And and that this one is, you know, politics are a, a thing about the investment landscape. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna share with our listeners today because sometimes we wander around. Uh, we talk about a number of different things. I want to talk a fair amount about the markets today. Like, what the heck is going on in the markets and the economy? And because people are asking me, is it going to crash? Is it, you know, what's happening? You know, last Friday it was down. Now we're back to almost having recovered all the losses and almost back to all time highs and kind of a wild seesaw ride here. But by the way, like last quarter, fourth quarter in 2019 was like, Awesome. And so I'm like, can we do all of our annual reviews now? Because everybody had like a really great year and a really great fourth quarter. I'm like, I like those reports. Can I just pull those and stick them in the file? And like, yeah, all of our clients come in now and let's do an annual review because your account looks good. (laughs) Yeah, I was just in last week. So come come back again. We're good. (laughs) So uh, what I have sort of threatening to do a bit of a 2020 outlook and Again, there's still stuff in the works that is we have we have exciting announcements, but not yet. Not you yet. You got to stay tuned. Right. There's so I this year. I mean, I like the I like the 2020. Right. Like obviously clear vision. I doctors, you guys should be having a field day with this one this right. year. Like your marketing should be through the roof with 2020. Well, let me tell you, our marketing is definitely dialed in. So here's what folks don't realize. 2020 big year for us and then this is why it's so interesting so there's the the market outlook but then just side note to all this did you know that uh little john financial services will have its like its formal 10-year anniversary in one could argue september 1st was the actual genesis or if you want to get into when did we how much argument is there really around a birthday 
Well, you know, there were three different things that happened. David, by the way, David likes multiple dates. Like, I even have two anniversaries. Yeah. So <laughs> so here's here's what happened. There was... Okay, the, so September the date, was the what? Date that, September 1 was the first day that I was no longer partnered with anybody else, and it was time to, to like hang out my own shingle. So it was the decision to hang it, the hook on LJ. Right. All right. right. It was like... So it was, it was this was it. It was the go date time. of freedom. But... Then there were these mechanical things that had to happen. Like, you know, you had to get an an entity formed. So I had to talk to an attorney and get my Okay, so Little John Financial order. Services became an entity when? Late, like, like in October, like October 3rd or something. But then I had to f do the ADV documentation and get registered with the SEC and the, well, the state really, but I had to take the SEC documentation and register with the Oregon Securities Department to become a legal entity and get the business licenses and all that stuff, which happened in December. So, so fourth quarter pretty much is your anniversary. Q4 is, <laughs> is you know, we're just going to really celebrate all, deal. all quarter. But the reality this year. is it happened in 2010. You know, nobody ever says it established 2010 on February, right? I mean, I guess some people do, but we're not, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to do that. We're going to say the date is crucial, right? Like it's like, I remember exactly when we opened one of our fitness clubs when I used to be a Curves for Women owner, because we were supposed to open the day after 9-11 happened. And then it was like, so I guess we're going to bump that back a week because <laughs> right. pretty sure everybody's still watching their TV. I moved to Roseburg. So it was the 17th. I moved to Roseburg, Oregon in January. So my first day was of work was January 4th, 2002. The day that I interviewed and and the the job that brought me to Roseburg was September 11th. But that's my point. Like it's such a significant number. Right. Yeah. Like, so, so that had it been like September 3rd or September 7th, right. you would have been obviously, like, eh. it's a marker. I get it. Uh, but but this year, 10 years that Little John Financial Services has been around and 20 years since I've. So I've been in the financial industry now. I, I'm 20 years in because I actually started with uh, in the insurance industry. And it was like right out of college. Yeah, like 1999 oh when gosh. I got my insurance license or maybe it might have been February of 2000. But it was either like December. But I know in December of 2000, I got my first securities license. So, so I have a I question for you because it seems that. like December is kind of your cutoff. Are you like, oh, crap, I better get this done before the end of the year. That was just <laughs> it was just timing. You know, I graduated in May. And so I had to go get licenses after that and, I, and, and deal. It's just funny to me. You're like, and in December we did this. And September is a very like September and December's are very significant months. Oddly enough, they are also your birthday and my birthday. Oh yeah, no, the fourth quarter is just crammed, for <laughs> full me. of goodness. So it's like, oh, We're just going to start partying September first, right? Even though it's still technically third quarter. But we'll just start there and we'll just, you know, kids are back in school. Let's just keep the party going until New Year's. We'll work it out. So the point is, it's a big year. It is a big year. <laughs> it's a big year. It's a celebration. Well, and you talk, I remember when I first started with you, you talked a lot about like the infant mortality rate of financial advisors. Because the hardest part when you're starting out as a financial advisor is you eat what you kill, right? And so it's like, if you don't have any clients, you don't have any income. If you don't have any income, you're not lasting very long. So yep. this is where I give my wife some credit. She really carried the torch for a season. Uh, I worked from home. 
I mean, like, I had a home office. Well, you didn't have a choice. You had no income. Well, that <laughs> like was it, though. Like, you couldn't afford an office. We, uh, you know, we <laughs> you had, had to grow into the office. The, the, the story of how I left was interesting. I, I managed the uh, – there was a, a small bank, and mm-hmm. I managed their investment uh, department. So I was the, you know, a VP and had all that. But, it, you know, a small company, so big deal titles. Uh, and then I got involved with trust asset management, and they had a trust department. I was uh, kind of – had the oversight of their investment policy and management and so forth. So I just kept escalating in responsibility, but ultimately got to a point where there was a disagreement with how risk was going to be managed. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. What happened, though, was I felt my hand was forced. And so I resigned my position on moral principles. And, you know, my wife and I agreed to this one. But it was a terrifying time in hindsight. People would believe that I had some kind of foresight that I did not it was September of 2008 oh, gosh. when I left that position. <laughs> and then Zeke, the markets, September again. The markets melted down promptly after that. And so there's this rebuilding during a terrible recession. And I had a one-year-old. And, you know, it was just figure out how to – it's amazing. Necessity breeds invention, as they say. It does. Yeah, when you're right? desperate, you're willing to really roll up your sleeves and go to work. And so, you were so kind of desperate. So there are many things, and I was – I was genuinely blessed with some unique opportunities, too. Uh, it was my introduction to fintech. Ah, which right? is? So fintech is financial technology, right? Okay. So I, I found my way into a consulting uh, environment where I was helping a software firm that did some very interesting algorithmic trading work. And this was Innovative. Yeah, this was you know more than a decade ago, so they were very early to the game. And, in fact, they'd been around for over 10 years when I got there. So... Uh, it was that was my first introduction into uh, really the the software side of the financial services business. Uh, since then, I've been involved in a lot of different things. We've had guests on the show. In fact, like a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, a, a guest uh, in fintech. We're helping to uh, alpha test one of their products or beta test, if you will. But it's we're testing it. We're gonna break we're it. gonna break it, and, and then he's gonna fix it, and, and we'll make sh- it better. And then we're gonna help help him fix it, right? So that's that's part of our. Our, our I always deal. feel like Wreck-It Ralph. Just wreck yeah, it. Wreck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny that that's your proposition, and people are like, "Game sign, on, yeah, great. challenge, let's, let's, let's do, do it." it. <laughs> well, so this is again relevant. So we're gonna. I want to talk about how this fits into the the grand scheme of the markets here, because there are some themes that are already being established this year that I think are relevant to all of our listeners. If if you're an investor. Okay, so we're not. Gonna, I'm not going to talk about the themes of you know, how we navigating taxes or t- too much about the vote or anything else. But th- there are these big themes in the marketplace right now that I think they're relevant and that we should be we should be talking about as investors. One of them is technology and how is that changing the landscape for investors. That's a, a big one. Another is what's going on in Washington D.C. Now this. It's less about what you think it is, okay? It's not what's going on or not going on in D.C., but it's what is the spinoff effect of that, and how does that affect the market? So more of the written pen and I'm less of the politicians? The, the derivative result of fiscal policy. Okay? So these are two of them. So that, so, so, but, but let, in fact, those are the two biggies. I don't think I can get through more than that today. But That's a lot. You'll, 
just hang with me. I'm going to package this all up in a way where you're going to, what is technology doing for us as investors and how's it changing the game? And then the, all of this circus of politics. And then, and we'll also talk about, so I'm going to make it a three-parter, right? That and you know, we keep talking about the coronavirus. Uh, what does this mean? Well, this one is the shortest of all of them. And so what we'll do is you want to know how DC does it, right? When we come back. Exactly. The, I love it. Dale's all over this thing. We got, uh, we'll take the break right after the music here. And when we get back, I'm going to show you why it doesn't matter who gets elected as far as what happens to your investments. So we'll, I'll put that one to bed and we'll talk about why when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I'm in studio with Katie. She's going to run things for the rest of the show. I'm just going to go have a coffee break or something. What I do you have, think? I have a cup of coffee here for that you. That is so nasty. <laughs> There's. <laughs> okay. Somebody sorry. left I'm, a mug I'm, of <laughs> something in there, and it's like, it it's, might be coffee. It's the coffee mug from, I'm pretty sure, like really early this morning. And it might have been like the third cup, but it's half full. And I was teasing David. I'm like, should I drink it? Yeah, now, I wasn't really coffee, going like, to. You don't want that. You <laughs> He's like, there's nothing in there. And I'm like, oh, look. It's like, ew. Ew. So cooties. gross. <laughs> All right. Hey, when we last left our Cape Crusaders on the show here, which is code for us, and you guys were listening and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Well, look, if you're just joining us, this is the why we have the podcast, right? You got to get the intro to the show to get what we're talking about here. Because I said there were going to be three things. I wrote down four. Four things. <laughs> I said four things. And I have to write them down now because I'm like, what did you just say at the end of the show? About that we're going to talk about that are going to affect the market. I thought there was three. I thought that we were going to just just touch on the coronavirus issue. Well, uh, I counted Washington, that as four. Washington, Maybe that's a DC, bonus. And technology. What's and derivative the... fiscal policy. Okay, so that's really DC. And it was three things. See, I'm not crazy. Oh, you uh, lumped them together. Okay, okay the first uh, one was. I'm not that kind of crazy. So <laughs> let's get this coronavirus out of the way. Okay. I. There will probably be, there's going to be some effects. Okay, the market is going to be affected by it but i think a lot of it is very rapidly being priced in well aren't they closing certain airports and stuff or not yes. letting people come in there will be and it was going to be much more industry specific so as an example uh we could see cruise lines get dinged for this one so you know carnival cruise lines everybody goes wait a second i don't want to get on a cruise ship where uh we could have a closed environment where that virus could just go <laughs> viral and we can't that you know we get stuck on the boat or something they won't let us off uh, so some travelers will just opt out, right? Yeah. Some airports, they're saying, hey, you know, we're, we won't let you, we're not going to fly to China right now. Then there's already uh, flights that have been shut down by certain airlines going, we're not, we're not flying to China, right? And so until this gets handled, and at this point, we're still seeing a fairly explosive 
growth rate. You know, it went from what eight hundred people to twenty thousand in the last couple of weeks. China is heavily populated in some areas. Well, yes. I mean, it's like now. Here's the part that's unclear to me. Okay. Is what is the mortality rate? Because the reality is that we have dealt with something akin to this for many, many years. And we will continue to do so here within the borders of the United States. And it's totally routine to the point that we just dismiss it. Or what, not dismiss well, it. What are but you it's referring casual. to? Like the flu? Like the influenza? Flu? Influenza. There is a mutating virus every year. It runs around, I believe, so far year to date, over 7,000 deaths. Maybe not year to date, but in the last 12 months, certainly over 7,000 deaths attributed to the flu. Now, the interesting thing, I've noticed people are posting like, oh, I got the flu, but they're not saying the flu. They're saying influenza A, influenza B, or whatever alphabet they decide to pick. Right. I mean, I, as a con as a normal person, do not know the difference between all the different influenzas. Like, am I supposed to? Well, so this is not my area of expertise, and so I really am not one that's Do you know all the difference? Like, I if don't. somebody says, oh, I got this one, you're like, oh, yeah, well, I totally know what you're talking there about. There are different strains of flu, certainly, and the virus constantly mutates. And when they do a flu shot, what the CDC is trying to do is sort of sort of triangulate on the, what the strain they expect to proliferate and they're trying to help reduce the spread of that strain right. and it's there's some educated guesswork involved so they don't always get it right now how does this relevant to the stock market remember that the stock market is a future pricing mechanism right okay so, so it's, it's it's betting on the future saying well what do we price today for future earnings and so it's, it's kind of reading through all the jargon that's going on in the media and social media. and It's taking calculated estimates. Of everything. Right now it's saying the calculated estimate for... Should we be buying biotech? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Is that a question people are asking? Uh, I haven't heard that question. There's a handful of people that have uh, thought about buying companies that uh, may have antiviral medication or other elements. It's uh, Those moved pretty quickly. Okay. So now the question is, is it going to have a material impact or what we would call a systemic impact on earnings? So this so, is where... So systemic is, it, you know, the whole system, so it, it affects everything. And it is really early to tell, but the markets are already trying to price this in. So for you to, you have to first make a decision in your mind if you're going to guess, yes, it's going to get terrible it's a pandemic it's going to spread across the globe and there's going to be massive death it's the spanish flu of 1900 or whatever it was i just kind of keep thinking of the beginning of every zombie movie i've ever watched sure well is that going to happen and i i think eh. based on the way the market's behaving and the way the western civilization but even china is taking proactive steps where they can but uh, western civilization more so is already trying to uh, do a lot of quarantine work and so I don't think it's going to rise to that level. We've seen these sorts of things before. There was SARS back in the early 2000s. And um, we've even seen some really terrifying stuff like Ebola. You know, that's a, a really s significant one. And uh, I, I'm not ready to borrow a ton of trouble. I'm not dismissive in the uh, sense that it can't affect the markets. Well, it could if it, it got really bad. But I think the markets are already calculating a lot of this in. So we'll just see how what the life cycle is of this and what the scare cycle is because the i don't think the stock market is dwelling on this day in and day out but the news cycle has it pushed it really hard initially 
It's been over a week now. So now it's just kind of known news. And once it's known news, then the news cycle is to find new news because pe- nobody people's cares about attention span is pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> so True. So I don't think that's it. Although there is a coronavirus memes page on Facebook, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, well, that one will, uh, you know, it'll rise quickly and then it will fall quickly. True. So here's the, the, the next of the three that I laid out. Four. Three. Four. It's three. I'll tell you why. Because it's less filling. No, it's it's three because the one that you said is four is part of it. Mm. I mean, what Washington D.C. The issue with politics in Washington D.C. Now, guess what? what? I'm not gonna pick a side. I oh, don't, come it, on! It's it, so it, much fun. Oh, sure, but it's <laughs> so not relevant because right. whether Trump is the president. A year from now or not or somebody else is the president a year from now it's not like like let's pretend that bernie sanders is the next president is he running again you really are living under a rock aren't you yes i'm sorry i and i sometimes i feel like it's out of necessity i know i i david walked in the other the whole thing with kobe remember you walked in you're like oh my gosh this weekend and i'm like what happened and you're looking at me like seriously you don't know what happened and i'm like well it was like on it was like going out everywhere i don't watch regular tv i wasn't even on facebook you don't all even weekend. watch a screen to device apparently no I, mean, I was getting like pop-up notifications from news services pushed to my phone i was out teaching art classes at wineries and having fun doing other things so no not in front of a screen. I, I envy the level of peace that Katie enjoys in that respect. <laughs> uh, so I let David freak out. And then when his got, freak I, out gets high enough, then I go, oh, I should pay attention. Yeah, I'm not freaking out about this because this is where folks miss the broader picture, which is there's 535 other people. Right. That's a lot of people. And if you think about all of the, the disposition of the House and Senate, and it's not purely along partisan lines here is that if you get a very extreme candidate, it's going to, which is effectively what a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren uh, is right now. Bernie Sanders likely to stay more extreme. I think Elizabeth Warren, more of a traditional politician, she'll triangulate and then move toward the middle, probably if she was the one to get the nomination. But this is not a political science discussion here. It's everybody thinks, oh my gosh, well, if we get this major regime change, uh, the markets are going to tank and this, that, and the other. No, here's what's more likely to happen. Uh, when we get a sunset on tax policy, it's not going to get renewed, so tax rates will go up. That will have a material impact on how things occur. We're not going to see a whole lot of new laws and all of a sudden be instantly overnight socialist and everything goes bananas because one of two things probably happens. Either some form of resistance rises up if the government gets that proactive, which you know, heaven forbid we're ever in that situation. But the more likely is Congress is not going to be aligned with this. And so there's going to be a ton of gridlock. And don't forget, presidents don't write legislation. They That's sign true. it. Yeah. Right. So it, we're not going to see this instantaneous overhaul of the system because we elect a new person. That's just how they pitch it to us it, to get the vote. Yeah. But that's not how it works. Right. And, and yeah. that's the same reason that uh, Obama administration previously and even the Trump administration, you know, one can argue how much has been accomplished, but much of it's been railroading around or behind Congress, not acting with. True. So uh, these factions will continue and the, the blessing would be the gridlock. But that gridlock is the story. And this is what you're calling the fourth point. OK. But it's really the same point, which is the derivative element 
right? So what is that? The derivative, the derivative element is the Federal Reserve. Oh. Okay, because when Washington, D.C. is incompetent at managing fiscal policy, which is using the legislative mechanisms to change monetary impact. Okay. okay. So we need infrastructure investment, then we legislate for infrastructure investment, and that happens. Or we need to change tax policy, and that has an impact. And the, that changes the amount of money in circulation in the economy. Well, gridlock means they're not doing their job and getting stuff done, which means it falls at the doorstep of the Fed. And is that good or bad? Well, I don't know that I can make a judgment call of good or bad. I could just say it kind of is what it is. So what is what topics are being gridlocked now? Well, or is there stuff. any? I mean, very little is happening functionally. I mean, there are still budgets, but we're still so we're spending at massive deficits still. The debt is escalating radically. I keep so, seeing Dave Ramsey memes for president. It's kind of making me laugh. Yes. And <laughs> and there's some tremendous misunderstanding about debt. I mean, the reality is if you ever wanted to take out government debt, do it at, you know, one and a half percent, 10 year money or 30 year money. You know, so it's super cheap, low interest debt. I get it. But it hamstrings everything else. Um, the, or at least it, it sort of forces the hand of everything else if it's not hamstrung. The Federal Reserve has a couple of mandates. One of them is low unemployment, and the other one is inflation. And we are not seeing inflation the way the government measures it. Right, because it hasn't really moved at all. Not significantly. Now, if we start to see wages go up because unemployment is so low that employers have to pay more, that increases the amount of money in circulation via wages. I would rather see that than having it be legislated in. Because I feel like we're constantly having wage hikes because it's been written that way, but not necessarily because the well, market demands it. But and that, So that's just an input cost, right? I, I, I don't mean to diminish that because you're right. A minimum wage has an effect. So if, if we say, well, let's just raise the minimum wage, like that'll force everybody, well, people will lose jobs. And so it sort of balances out the equation of, well, we can't just tell everybody to pay more for the cost of labor because labor is somewhat transitive in nature so that's why do you think china is such a powerful manufacturer now yeah because labor is cheaper well labor was cheaper in china so all of our companies outsource manufacturing to china right but that's kind of been squashed a little bit with well, like all the bit. trade Ta wars tariffs and, and other things and play a role but you know your iphone isn't made in california it's designed there and then manufactured in china right right why because, because it's cheaper the, to the rules there. and regs around getting it done are less complex and less expensive and burdensome than here in the United States. Right. So they send them away. And people will, oh, we need union labor, this, that, and the other. I go, look, I'm not making a, a judgment call of whether that's We're good, bad, or otherwise. We're not asking you to yeah, earn $2 you, an hour when minimum wage isn't. We're just saying that in other countries, they have different rules and regulations. Exactly. And so what happens is or lack the, of. the labor moves somewhere else. And the only labor that can't is service economy labor. And the, the problem with service economy is there's a real difference in strata. Professional level services that require high levels of education and other qualifications demand high dollars. That's why like doctors and attorneys and stuff make more money. And then the checkout clerk at Walmart, you know, they have you can check out yourself now. So why would you pay a clerk for anything? And you are seeing more self-service things go in because of the cost of labor going so, up. And that's just it. It's just, it's just business adapting. And you can't force a job to be more valuable. If you just make it cost more, then what happens is you substitute other things. Or right? the cost gets passed on to the consumer, which means whatever you're buying is right. then cost more. Yeah, you know, Guess what? If it was cheaper to manufacture cars with people than robots, then they we'd have lots have of people building cars. Right. 
but robots are cheaper. Right. And they don't unionize. So <laughs> that, uh, uh, and again, Yet. I'm not knocking Yet. unions, <laughs> right? And that's not my point. I am trying to say it is part of the equation. It's part of how economics works. There are trade-offs. And so you can't expect to change an input and not have something else change in the economic not equation. The it's outgo. just going to unbalance the equation and something else, maybe unintended, will happen. Right. So that's what's going on with the Federal Reserve is if Washington's incompetent, the Federal Reserve's making up the difference. And how are they doing it? Through monetary manipulation in the form of either quantitative easing or rate management. Which well, is those why are a lot of big words. So what's quantitative easing? Quantitative easing is effectively when the Federal Reserve buys the treasuries that the Treasury Department prints or that it makes. So it buys the treasuries, holds them on its own balance sheet, and now we've got um, – a, a situation where we have, um, uh, if they're money printing, you know, we, we put more money into circulation. Right. Yeah. So what do you do? I mean, how do we as investors manage this? I mean, there's actually something good that happens from this. There is. Or something unintended that probably is intended. There's something people don't think about. Like, are, are, are super low rates good? For investors, maybe not. But, you know, there is somebody that benefits from it. <laughs> borrowers, too. But there's somebody else that may benefit. But it's really weird. You want to know what it is? What is it? I'll tell you after the break. So stick around. I'll let you know who's the big winner on super low rates, at least for now. That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right. We be back because I know everybody that's listening. Uh, and if you weren't, you know, podcast at uh, littlejohnfs.com, all that good stuff. But you're probably wondering wait a minute, did you just say that super low rates are good for. Wait, for what? who? Well, you didn't say who. I didn't. On so, purpose. Super low rates are good if you're a borrower, right? So, hey, well, yeah, I don't like to pay more interest cool. than I have to. But who else would potentially benefit from super low rates? Answer existing bondholders. Because they. We've talked about this on the show, but it's been a while. Okay. Existing bondholders. There is a. An inverse relationship between bond yields and price. Right. So when yield goes up, meaning the rate goes up, the price goes, goes down. Down. But if the yield goes down and the, you already own something, then the price goes up. So let's think about who is one of the biggest buyers of bonds in the world? The Federal Reserve? Pension no. plans. Oh, that's and true. And insurance companies. That's true. And so, because they are 
they have an obligation to make payouts and they need a structured payout. So what do they do? They, they buy, buy a certain amount of fixed income with predictable income streams paying off of it. If they bought a bunch of bonds at 5% yield, paying them 5%, and all of a sudden the yields drop to 2%, their 5% bonds went up in value. So the principal actually went up. So these major I bond holders- I still get holders, so confused on bonds. Yeah, well, suffice it to say that if they hold these bonds to maturity, then they don't really capture any of that. But, but if they sell them. If they needed to sell them because they were rebalancing to buy other asset types, it would be a reasonable time to sell because it's at a premium. Yeah. So it's so yeah, basically, you know, the way I understand a bond, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um the way I understood a bond is me loaning money to whatever company, government, whatever it is, yeah, trying to borrow the, money. So bank. I'm the lender. Yep. And the bond company is saying, hey, you know, we're going to offer you, we'll go back to your example, 5%, right? So yep. I'm going to I'm gonna loan you 10 grand for the next five years and you're going to pay me 5%. And then at the end of it, you're going to give me my money back because yep. I loaned you the money. Now, if interest rates go down to 2%, my bond at 5% is more valuable because I'm making more interest than the person could buy it today. In a sense, yes. You made a loan where as a lender, you're getting paid back a higher amount. Right. So if I wanted to buy that loan from you, I would have to pay a premium to get you convinced to sell it to me because why would you take an inferior product than you could go buy in the marketplace? So I'm going to have to pay up to the point that the rate. So if I, if you, you know, borrowed a thousand dollars, I'm going to have to pay you maybe $1,200 in order to get you to my, sell me yeah, the bond. So you're in essence buying but, my but loan. But what happens is now I have $1,200 that's paid, but I'm getting the same interest you were. So I'm not getting 5% on $1,000. I'm getting 5% on $1,200, which means my effective yield. I'm getting I'm getting the 5% on 1000 but it's the same dollar figure. So 5% on 1000 is what, 20 bucks, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah, $20. $20. And so I'm getting not... 5% on 1200. I'm getting $20 on 1200. It's less than 5%. Right? So so that's the issue is that I think I just did the math wrong too by the way. I was like but that whatever. doesn't sound right. It's, I, I think it's 50. Um 50. Or, yeah. Yeah, 20. Yeah, 10%. Well, yeah, it's 50 bucks. So okay. 5%. So 50 bucks and I'm getting 50 bucks on 1200. Yeah, that's great. The numbers guy on the air chomp, chomped that one up. Um <laughs> Go common core. I know. So <laughs> but now $50 on 1200 is less than than the 5%. So maybe it's 4% now or whatever it is. It's actually a, you know, so I'm taking a, a, I'm still getting a lower equivalent payout. But it's higher than what I can get on the market. Yeah. But see, if the market goes from 5% to 2.5, and I, otherwise, same terms, I mean, it could almost double the value of your bond. It won't quite because, you know, the bond is, as it reaches maturity, it's less and less it's valuable less and the less closer valuable to the end of the loan. There's fewer payments right. to, to, to make up the difference. So, but the, that's the inverse relationship issue. And so pensions have somewhat benefited. And then the stock market has benefited in, an, in a strange way because we're not creating a lot more shares in the market right now. Like there's uh, most of the large companies buy up the small companies when they are innovators. Like if you think about it, Facebook keeps buying up all of the other social media apps. Why? Because it's so big it can. Well, because it doesn't want competition. It'll just eat the competition so it stays at the top. And it will buy the innovation if it can't do its own innovation. But once it does that, it's not like it makes more shares of Facebook. The same number of shares are still in circulation. So now there's fewer 
it's, companies it's like, to invest in. Right. So, so you know, if demand goes up and the supply is the same, the price goes up on right. that limited supply. So where else does the money go? If interest rates are super, super low, you don't want to buy long-term money at super low rates because you're not getting rewarded for your risk very well. So instead, people go to the stock market, which drives the stock market higher and higher and higher. So in a weird way, these lower rates have driven the stock market up. So not only has it helped the bondholder in the short term, but the stockholders benefited too. Ah, there you so go. it has driven the market up. Now, the bigger question is how long can we feed this animal with debt? Ooh. Right, because we're operating on deficit spending, and the government debt is grown to numbers that normal They're people just silly can't get at this yeah. point. Like I, it's it's like doing math with letters. You know, it's just like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of letters in there and Aww. weird symbols. Okay, yeah, we're, it does kind of feel threshold. that way. So well, but, and the idea of the way they spend just you know floors me. It's like oh, we had X amount of budget last yeah. year, and so we're gonna do X plus ten. And I'm like, why? Yeah, when your debt is in you know over 20 trillion dollars yeah trillion with a t not a b and you're like okay so we've reached levels that don't make sense to people anymore like you just can't really is there any way for us to even pay off our debt ever well the the answer is yes i mean our economic output is still approaching 18 trillion okay so we we still have more income than outgo well what's happening is our we're we're reaching a point where our um, when, when your debt ex- when GDP is less than debt, right? Mm-hmm. So your debt exceeds your GDP. Th- that's typically a bad sign, and it would be a worse sign if for you know this one weird concept. It's that everybody's doing it. What? Well, How are we the trendsetter for bad debt? Like, that doesn't make it's, any it's sense. It's not bad debt. Just, just debt. Just debt. I mean, but, like, there's other countries going higher and higher in debt. Look at Europe right now and look at their quantitative easing and interest rate manipulation, what they've had to do. Look at China. I mean, heck, China's stock market was collapsing. They were. They just put, what, $71 or $79 billion in to stabilize their markets. Jeez. I, I mean, like, this, this kind of... It's so consider it central bank intervention. The joke is it's the race to the bottom, meaning everybody. What what it really is is imagine if you had everybody coordinated their efforts to slowly devalue their currency. If everybody does it at the same time, the person that made the loan is getting hosed because they're getting paid back with less valuable dollars. But all the borrowers are saying, well, it's. Okay, because everybody's doing it. Yeah, stay with me. So stay with me. I, I kind of have a, a head tilt kind of, what are you talking I, about, I know, Willis? Stay with me. This is the thing, right? Where else are you going to go? And if everybody's doing the same devaluation concept and the dollar is still the world's reserve currency, then, then why good? would the dollar stop being the world's reserve currency if everybody's on board with the same behavior? Are you asking the question or are you just giving the, hmm, let's think well, about that for a minute? It is a question, but it is also a hmm, because, you know, the United States can secure itself as the the reserve currency primarily because it's the, the greatest military power and still the largest economic power. Right. I mean, it's the largest economy in the world still by most any measure you conjure up. 
So if the United States is still the, f the top of the food chain and we've got bad behavior, but everybody else kind of says, okay, well, we have the same bad behavior, then essentially we're all floating at the same level. Right, we're not really changing the water level weird, in the bathtub. We're it's just like a changing weird concept. the numbers. It's like I mean, it's like you know, the United States is like the cool, popular kid in school smoking a cigarette, and everybody's like, "Yeah, we should be like that guy. Let's it go is, smoke with him." And I'm like, "What is like that?" That's what it seems no, like. That's There's just like this a, weird. It, this it's just an it's an economic concept that says it's neutral if everybody behaves the same way. Now, let me be really clear. I don't buy this. I think that there will be unintended consequences to this behavior and that the laws of finance don't somehow disappear because you have a printing press and nobody's told you you're naughty. Okay, it doesn't make the laws change. It just means that nobody's called you out loud enough yet for you to listen or because it's kind of nobody wants to hear it, right? If everybody's sort of enjoying the same bad behavior nobody wants to call it out and be like you know this is wrong right they're just going shh don't say anything don't say anything <laughs> so that's more like the issue it's not like the cool kid with a cigarette it's just like nobody is saying the emperor has no clothes and so everybody's playing along oh that's a good reference okay all right, all right we got so it. look we got uh, there's there's one more which is how is technology going to change it but we got to take a last break so when we come back how's this tech going to really impact the markets we just said that the Fed is kind of backstopping things in a weird way. And we said that Washington, D.C. is inept. But what's technology going to do for investors? we got to cover that when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. How does it go by so fast? I don't know. Maybe Perhaps it needs to be a two hour show. Way too much rambling? I don't know. No, 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 no We would thing. never. No, not enough rambling. All right, so what does technology do for us as investors? Uh, everything right now. What does it do for the market? Technology is really changing the stock market because it it's now the mechanism by which trades are made. You know, they're they're not really done on the floor in the traditional sense of people waving tickets and that kind of stuff. I mean, they're still floor traders, but so much of this is electronic in nature now. So it's fast, it's available everywhere. I mean, we're in we're in Roseburg, Oregon, and through fiber optic high speed internet connections. We have the only difference between us and New York, in effect, is what we would call latency. And we're talking about probably less than a second of latency. I was going to say time change, but other than that, like we're looking at it's the not same even market. Time change. Now, latency is a weird one if you get into super ultra high frequency trading where uh, they're that trying to. It matters by the second. Oh, no, no. It matters by like the picosecond. Like you're measuring in tens of thousands of a second. Picosecond? Yeah, it's, it's, we don't have time to get into it on this show today, but you're wow. talking about high frequency traders are, are leveraging technology to try to front run large orders and, and make tiny, tiny fractions of a, t of a penny, but do it millions of times. So Crazy. it's, it's 
wild seeing how that operates. So technology has radically changed the way we interact, but it's also changed the way financial services are provided. True. Now, it's also changing the way things get valued. Uh, this is a story that I cannot help but just touch base on, and I'm going to fully acknowledge out of the gate, I struggle to understand how this is happening. Okay. Nevertheless, have you looked at Tesla lately? <laughs> I haven't, but I don't have to because for some reason I get updates about every hour in our office. <laughs> uh, year to date, I want to just look on, I'm going to try to bring the chart up live. Year to date, Tesla is up 106.17%. That's since January. How is that even possible? That is a fine question. If we look at the what are they offering that everybody thinks that their poop don't stink? Yeah, one year number they're up 183 percent, and on a two year about the same. So in the last year, it's almost doubled, and it's up 100 percent just in the last six weeks. Did they they released what a truck I think right or something? Well, they had a truck. They had some other things, but they, is that it? It's. This is, when I say it's complicated, like I'm just going to say, I don't get it. Meaning. There's no reason for it to be performing the way well, it is. So their revenue has increased. Okay. Uh, in 2018, gross revenue of $21.46 billion. In 2019, $24.58 billion. Increasing revenue. But earnings were negative $976 million. So they lost almost a billion dollars in 2018. They lost only $862 million. So $0.86 billion on, in 2019. So the question is... So we're is, rewarding them for losing less? But they're not making yes, any money. They're, they are losing less. They haven't made money yet. And what people are saying is it's going to... They're a when, when people start making excuses, this terrifies me, right? Because... This is sort of the Warren Buffett philosophy. And I started my career in 99. Okay. And I watched the NASDAQ go exotic. And I watched the dot-com explosion. Oh, yeah. And then I also watched the dot-com implosion early in my career. Right. And we were saying things like, it's the new economy. It's not about making money. It's about revenue growth. And we were talking about how these things, you cannot, uh, they, they'll just get, go on forever. And I remember people complaining about how Warren Buffett underperformed by only making 20, 26% that year. Yeah, oh, boo-hoo. Um, this is a crazy exotic stock right now. So would you when consider this speculation? Oh, yeah. So, for, I, I, so can you explain people, to our listeners what speculation well, is? Speculation is... No it's track much, record. It's much more of a guess. It's more like gambling, Okay. Uh, is it a decent gamble? Maybe because the way things are playing out right now. Uh, but but I think there's something interesting at play here. People know that Tesla's not making money yet, and they know things like the China scare with uh, coronavirus and the China manufacturing and uh, trade wars and some of the other elements going on are tricky. If that's the case, then you're having to guess at what future earnings are. Right now, Tesla is almost twice the value of both Ford and General Motors combined. If you what? added them together and doubled them, then you're you're reaching Tesla's value here. And it doesn't make any money yet. So, I find this to be Overvalued? I'm just going to say I can't I can't make recommendations on the air. That's not what what I can tell you is I 
cannot figure it out. I just know the price has gone nuclear. And what I think happened is what we call a short squeeze. I don't have a lot of time to explain, but for people that short a stock expecting it to go down and the stock doesn't go down at some point, they have to put more money in their account in order to cover their short because they have a liability if they owe money on a stock that keeps getting more expensive. So they have to close their position. And when they do so, they have it they creates, inadvertently creep it, it up. It creates more buyers in the stock and shoots the demand up and the price goes exotic. And it, so a short squeeze is when people are forced to sell because of mechanics in the market. And I think that we've had a super exotic short squeeze here. And I'm not so sure that this stock is not going to have another major comeback to earth moment. But do not view that as a recommendation of any kind. It's just a super exotic right now. And the reality is markets are valuing things funny when it comes to tech. And that's really the take home. But look, we're out of time for now. If you want to know more about this and how it may affect you personally, since I can't give advice on the air, I can give it to you in person. Give our office a call. 541-375-0898. All right, because we'd love to help you out if you, uh, that and more. But uh, for now, we're out of time. So until next time, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed are Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.